Well, let's turn to the book of Philippians, and we will continue to meditate on this passage. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Tonight, our sermon text is verse 12 through chapter 4, verse 1. But I want to read the entire chapter, uh, the entire third chapter, so we'll have a little memory of what we thought about last week. Brothers and sisters, this is God's infallible, inspired, and inerrant word. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, 
And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Here we will end the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we do indeed desire that you would take this third chapter of Philippians and that you would emboss it on our hearts. Lord, we, we would like to just have this entire chapter memorized. Lord, we want to know you and we realize that we can know you by knowing your word. And we know that the Holy Spirit is the one who opens it up to us, that it would come alive, that we would understand, that we would hear your voice. And so we ask for that now. Lord, would you instruct us? Would you rebuke us if necessary? Would you encourage us? Would you help us to hear your voice? Lord, would you help us to make connections in our lives, in our own lives, in the lives of our family and our friends, our coworkers, our classmates, Lord, Explore us, help us, speak to us, we'd ask. We'd ask it in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Well, in 1965, there was a 27-year-old man named Angus Barbieri. And he checked himself into the Mayfield Hospital in Dundee, Scotland. He was 456 pounds, and he desperately wanted to lose weight. And it was decided that Barbieri was going to fast in order to lose weight and that the hospital staff would monitor his progress. So Barbieri was told he could go ahead and, and use this means and fast, but he shouldn't do it any longer than 40 days. But at the end of 40 days... The results were good, and Barbieri felt fine. And so he just kept on fasting. And during his fast, he consumed only tea, black coffee, water, nutritional yeast, electrolytes, and vitamins. That's it. Barbieri fasted for 382 days straight and lost 276 pounds to reach his goal weight of 180 pounds. He pressed on for 382 days straight to reach his goal. 382 days. Can you imagine? Well, in our passage, the Apostle Paul wants the Philippians to press on toward a goal. Of course, it's not a weight loss goal. He wants the church to remain faithful until they meet Jesus face to face. In verse 14, he writes, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 17. What does he say? He says, brothers, join in imitating me. Do you see that? You are called to press on toward the goal. What counsel does Paul give the Philippians in this text? What counsel does he give the church? Let's begin answering that question with our first heading. Press on by forgetting what lies behind. 
Press on by forgetting what lies behind. In verses 12 through 16, we meet Paul, the athlete. Perhaps he's thinking of a competitor in a foot race or maybe a chariot race, and he expresses the Christian life in terms of an athlete who is running a race and striving toward a goal of crossing the finish line and entering into the immediate presence of Christ. But before Paul begins his analogy, he transitions from what he had just previously written. In verse 12, he writes, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What is Paul talking about here? What is it that he has yet to obtain? What is it that he wants to possess? Paul is referring to the things he's just spoken about in verses 8 through 11. Paul wants to vigorously pursue knowing Christ, his sufferings, his resurrection power, and union with him on the final day. For Paul, that is what it means to run the race. And he says what? He repeatedly states that he is imperfect, doesn't he? He hasn't obtained. He hasn't been perfected. Paul understands his own need for progress. You see, the Christian life is challenging for even the most seasoned of its athletes. The reality is, the more you come to know Christ, the more you come to know your own sinfulness and your own need for growth. Hasn't that been your experience? If you imagine that you have arrived, stagnation is sure to set in. In verse 13, Paul writes, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In verse 13, Paul begins to compare the Christian life to running a foot race. And he shares his technique with the Philippians. He says, one thing I do. I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. You see, a successful runner should never, ever look over their shoulder as they run. They must forget what lies behind. If a runner looks back even slightly, they can lose their focus, they can lose their rhythm, and this can cause them to either lose valuable time or fall, stumble, become injured and out of the race. What is Paul suggesting here? Is he suggesting some sort of, some sort of self-induced amnesia? No. No, Paul chose not to look back at his accomplishments lest they lull him to complacency. And likewise, he refused to allow his failures to stumble and distract him. The, thing, the things you think about, the things that you allow your mind to dwell on, they influence your heart. 
they influence your heart big time. You need to realize that and be extremely cautious about what you allow yourself to meditate on. The Bible gives several warnings about looking back at times when you weren't following Christ. Um, You might begin to romanticize the past. Uh, You might begin to look back longingly. Our forefathers made this mistake in the wilderness when they began to look back longingly at the leeks and at the garlic forgetting all about their enslavement in Egypt, the only thing they could remember were those few good things that they had. And in the parable of the sower, Jesus warned about the seed that is sown among thorns. He says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches Choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And we see that in our passage, don't we? Look at verses 18 and 19. Paul says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul is writing to the Philippians with tears because he's talking about people who used to walk with Christ but who no longer do. How did they fall away? Look at the end of verse 19. Their minds became set on earthly things. A successful runner keeps their eyes on the goal. In verse 15, Paul writes, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal also that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. You see, mature believers don't think that they're perfect or have arrived. They refuse to look back. Instead, forgetting what is behind, they keep their eyes on Christ and pursue him. Paul counsels the Philippians to forget what lies behind and to press on by following godly examples. That's our second heading. Press on by following godly examples. One thing I've learned, having moved to Indiana, we get some very strong winds. Very strong winds. Sometimes the winds blow so hard, you wonder if the trees are going to remain standing. Right? Well, circumstances can be like a powerful wind in our lives. And Paul wants the church to stand firm. We could see that at the end of verse 16, where Paul tells his readers to do what? Hold true, he says. Hold true. And you can see that at the end of chapter 4, verse 1 as well, can't you? Paul writes, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. As a matter of fact, in chapter 1, verse 27, Paul told the Philippians to stand firm. You see, this is a theme in this book. But it's not just a theme in this book. You know Ephesians 6. How many times it says stand, stand, you need to stand. 
We're told that so many times because we need to hear it. We need to hear it. It's part of our lifelong pursuit of knowing Christ. We need to stand firm. Paul continues to counsel the Philippians in verse 17. He writes, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples you have in us. This is a call to discipleship, isn't it? Don't be stagnant. Don't be complacent. You're called to grow. You're called to grow. You're called to continue running down the course after Jesus. Paul says, believer, imitate me. Watch me closely. Listen to me carefully. Do you see how I serve? Have you noticed my commitment to spread the gospel? I'm writing you from prison. Have you considered my attitude? Did you hear me when I said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Were you paying attention when I talked to you about the importance of knowing Christ, his sufferings, and his resurrection power? Emulate me, mimic me, follow my example. We learn from watching our mentors, don't we? And it's like this in every area of life, from the church to the arts to the trades to business to sports. We grow from watching people who are further along the path than we are. And in verse 17, Paul says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. The us includes Timothy and Epaphroditus, who Paul held high as spiritual models in chapter 2. He said, consider the example of Timothy. He follows Christ, showing genuine concern for the welfare of others. He consistently set his own interests aside and looked out for the interests of others. And the Philippians saw that track record. And he points to Epaphroditus as well. And he said, look how he emulates Christ. He committed to travel over 1,500 miles, mostly on foot, in order to love someone else. What Christ-likeness, what Christ-like service. He was willing to suffer for the gospel. Like Jesus, he was willing to lose his life in order to save someone else. Of course, Paul also pointed us to the master himself. Paul says, look at the Son of God who was willing to leave all the pleasures of heaven to come down and to serve you. He took on a human nature and served you by being obedient in your stead to the point of death, even the death on the cross. The scripture is filled with examples of godly men and women that came before us. But Paul directed the Philippians to think about examples of two men who were alive in their own day. And if you stop and think about it, think about your life. God has placed godly examples in your life as well. 
God raises up people who are willing to spend themselves for you. People who are willing to invest in you. I remember being um, so completely humbled when one of my mentors came to my graduation uh, when I graduated from seminary. Um, it was so humbling. He, he took multiple days off of work. He, he booked flights. He booked a hotel room. He rented a car. He traveled for multiple days. For what? To see me graduate a ceremony that lasted an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Just to see my graduation? And then it hit me. This is a godly man willing to invest his life in one of his disciples. What an example. And I knew right there, this is who I'm called to be. This is what I'm supposed to emulate. Loving self-sacrificial, willing to invest in the next generation of Christians. Paul says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And in verses 18 and 19, Paul also gives us some bad examples as well. He points to four characteristics of people who have fallen away from the faith Paul says, number one, their end is destruction. Two, their God is their belly. Three, they glory in their shame. And four, their minds are set on earthly things. Eternal damnation awaits them because they've chose to pursue carnal desires rather than pursue Christ. And in the end, verse 18, you learn the appropriate response to this. It's tears. It's tears. These poor souls drifted off track because their eyes, the eyes of their heart, wandered. Paul wants the Philippians to concentrate on the goal. He tells them to press on by focusing on the prize. That is our third heading. Press on by focusing on the prize. That's what Paul does, right? We're supposed to follow his example. Look back at verse 14. Paul writes, Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. I press on, excuse me, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is a vision of the end of the race. And it propels Paul like an athlete who turns the corner. And when he turns the corner, he sees uh, the goal up ahead. And it's as if when he sees this yellow finish line up ahead, it gives him a renewed vigor and, and a renewed energy to charge forward toward that finish line. His gaze is directed straight ahead, right? As, as beads of sweat come down his face, as his heart is pumping, as he's taking in deep breaths, he focuses straight ahead and charges toward the goal. The Christian runs for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And the prize is nothing less than the full and complete gaining of Christ 
for whose sake everything else has been left behind and forgotten. Having having a goal drives us forward and provides us with needed direction. And no earthly prize compares to the promises we have in Christ. The glory of earthly prizes fade, but the glory of Christ in heaven will never fade. Have you ever had a new car? If you've had a new car, let me tell you, they have a beautiful new car smell. Oh, it's beautiful. I just got new carpet in my house. It has a new car, a new uh, carpet smell. But you know what happens? After a week or two or three, the smell is gone. The glory fades. Listen, the glory of Christ and heaven will never fade. And our text tells us a little bit about the prize. Draw your attention to verse 20. Paul starts by saying, but our citizenship is in heaven. In verse 18 and 19, Paul just finished talking about people who fell away because their hearts and minds were set on earthly things, right? Their hearts belonged to this world because they were of the world. America is a wealthy country, right? It's it's called the land of opportunity. But if you speak with international students, you'll discover that their heart belongs to their home country. It doesn't matter if their country is small and poor. Their heart belongs to their homeland. Christians are citizens of heaven. Our hearts belong to heaven. Your home, right? Your home is where you feel the most comfortable, where you kick off your shoes and you say, ah, and you just relax and you are at home. Comfortable. Our hearts belong to heaven. When you arrive in heaven, you are going to feel so at home. It's where you belong You are going to feel so comfortable there, so at rest. It's going to feel perfect. No pain, no tears, no sorrow, no worry, absolutely zero anxiety, just peace and joy and comfort. Verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Believer, Jesus made you a promise. In John 14, verse 3, he says, I go and prepare a place for you, and I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That is a promise that will be fulfilled Talk about a prize. You will see Jesus, but you won't just see him. He is going to embrace you. He is going to embrace you. You will be close. There's not going to be any eye rolling. You won't feel any distance, whatever. There won't be any disappointment. Jesus is faithfulness. He is love. He is mercy. And he calls you his friend. 
a friend of mine just invited me to a country club. And right away I thought, "Uh uh-oh. I better ask him what I'm supposed to wear because I have no idea um, what I'm supposed to dress. And the last thing I want to do is show up at this place dressed inappropriately. So tell me what I'm supposed to wear. Well, Jesus is going to provide you with everything you need when you cross the goal line. Consider verse 21. It says, we await Jesus who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Scripture promises that you're going to undergo a miraculous transformation. That is a promise. It is going to happen. A radical transformation. It likens, that is, Scripture likens your body to a plain little seed, but that grows into a glorious, magnificent tree full of splendor. Your mind, your body, and soul will be perfectly adapted for heaven. And you'll be holy on account of Christ. But listen, you're going to be fully transformed so that you are personally holy in every aspect of your being, every aspect of your being, pure and holy forever. Forever, no more sin, ever. How is this even possible? Look at how verse 21 ends. You will be transformed by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Jesus has been given all power and authority, and he will employ this power to fulfill all of these promises. They will not fail. These promises will be fulfilled. As citizens of heaven, we await a savior whose name is above every name, King Jesus, to whom every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Paul instructs the Philippians to press on by aiming for the goal. He wants the church to focus on the prize coming into the immediate presence of Christ forever. Paul wants the church to be strong and to be equipped. He wants them to be able to weather the storms, whether the storms of persecution or doctrinal challenges or threats of internal division. He wants the Philippian church to flourish and to thrive. Look at verse, chapter 4, verse 1. And for 1 He summarizes his his thoughts there. He writes, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. See, the Philippians are Paul's brothers and sisters, his spiritual children. They're his love, his joy, his crown, his beloved. And so he gives them instructions as a loving father. He urges them to forget the past so that they aren't deterred or hindered by it. He directs the church to follow the examples of godly saints 
He wants them to strive and to grow and to press forward. And he tells the church to focus on the prize that awaits them when they finish running the race. Focus on Jesus, who already ran and won the race on your behalf. Paul wants the church to pursue the full knowledge of Christ. He wants the Philippians to press forward. He wants the church to remain faithful until they meet Jesus faith to face. How should you run the race? How should you stand firm? Forget, follow, focus. Press on toward the goal. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this very practical kind of instruction to us, something that we can grab hold of and put into practice. But saying it's a lot easier than doing it, Lord. And we would come before you confessing that we um, lack heart. We, we lack want to oftentimes. And so we uh, recognize that we need you. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us that we might have the desire to forget the desire to follow, and the desire to focus. Lord, would you help us in these things? We want to grow as disciples. Help us to love one another. Help us to have a desire to read your word, to know your word, to memorize your word, to live your word in every aspect of our lives. Lord, we would ask all these things that Jesus might be glorified, and we would ask them in his name. Amen.